so, so I actually came into the conversation of constructive journalism and, and positive news from the perspective of the consumer. So I'm not actually a journalist myself, but, but as, a, as a consumer, as a reader of the news, I was one of those people that began to find it too depressing just because of the sheer amount of negative, negative news that was out there. And, um, and even though I've always had a keen interest in, in politics and just more generally being informed on what's going on in the world, um, I actually began to not want to watch the news and sort of was tempted by the idea of ignorance being bliss. Um, and this really worried me because if I'm motivated to know but I'm actually attracted to the idea of choosing ignorance, it made me wonder how many other people felt the same and also what would it take to keep me informed in a way that kept me engaged. So instead of switching off, I actually began to read much more widely to seek out some sort of balance. And in doing so, I was really inspired by what I was finding, and I began a website called whatagoodweek.com, which was what I considered to be good news stories that were published in mainstream media and in, and in niche publications, um, with the aim of sort of seeking out some sort of balance. So it wasn't advocating for a wholly good news newspaper, but it was to provide the sort of balance that I felt was lacking in the mainstream media. And I was really encouraged by how many people were, were actually interested in the conversation of good news. And so I enrolled, as, as Charlie said, I enrolled on a master's degree at University of East London to actually research the psychological consequence of the news, which we will touch on a bit later. But in this particular talk, we're going to look at what constructive journalism is, what it's not, most importantly, why it's important, what are the psychological and sociological effects of this kind of journalism, who's doing it already, and, and how. So I'm sort of more the why guy, but if you want to know more about the how and actually practically implementing this type of journalism and pitching to industries, then I recommend Constructive Journalism Project in the UK, or if you're in America, Solutions Journalism Network also offers a really, really helpful toolkit for that. So the first question that that we have to ask is why is it actually important to understand the psychological consequence of consuming the news? And the most fundamental and obvious answer to this, for me at least, is because it does have a consequence. So the news media provide a powerful stream of information which we as readers inescapably consume. And, and the news connect us to events that we're unable to experience firsthand, as well as help us make sense of those events that we are able to experience. And these stories that we tell ourselves or, or perhaps choose not to tell ourselves about society and its participants is going to influence our understanding and it's going to help shape our opinions and our beliefs. So the what does become really important. What are we actually reporting? What are we bringing, what are we bringing to the attention of the public? And, and what are we not reporting? And this selectivity lies within agenda setting theory, which I think you touched on or I briefly overheard from the lecture before. But there are two levels to this. So the first is, well, that refers to exposure. So the what. And the more someone's exposed to an issue, the more important they actually consider it to be. So exposure determines what people actually think about. And just to demonstrate the power of exposure, I'd like to bring your attention to a multi-billion dollar industry that relies on it, and that's advertising. And I realised when I did this last time that my, um, my slides are so out of date, because I'm sure that there's much more relevant advertising logos that are around at the moment. 
But the fact that you are able to recall these logo sayings, um, it illustrates sort of how easy it is to voluntarily or involuntarily learn from the information around you. So then there's second level agenda stepping theory, and this is, this is the how. So how is it actually being reported? How is the information being presented? And in what way is it being told to the public? Because this is going to determine how you actually think about the issue. So rather than explain this, I thought we'd do a little demonstration. So I'm going to show you, and I really want you to try this. I'm not going to give you enough time to actually do this task, which as journalists or future journalists, you're, you're probably going to find on the job as well. So I'd like you to tell me in 15 seconds, I'm going to give you 15 seconds to count, how many geometric shapes there are on the next slide. Okay, so can anyone hazard a guess as to how many there actually were? Yeah? 25. 25? Anybody else? Higher or lower? Don't all shout at once. <laughs> 50? Okay, just double it. Double it again, anyone? Any other guesses before I tell you? No, just keeping it all to you. You all know, just keeping it to yourself. That's fine, that's fine. Um, so there were actually 87, 87 pictures on there. So it was a slightly unfair task. But can anybody tell me um, what colour the bowling ball was that was going down? Blue. Blue. Okay, and can anybody tell me how many children there were on the school bus? Seven. Seven. Between those four guesses, I'm sure one of you's right. Um, and, and finally, can anybody tell me, um, just because I've not got the PowerPoint in front of me now, just pick a tricky one for you guys. Um, can anybody tell me what sex of the child was that was in the picture in the family frame? Well, this is a 50-50 guess, but not a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so but <laughs> what, this, um, what this was sort of trying to demonstrate is that, oh, just to go back, the, the bowling ball was purple. There were three, six, Eight children on the bus, nine if you include the conductor. So you're there or thereabouts. Um, but, but what this sort of was trying to demonstrate and show you, even though you all paid really close attention, thanks very much for that, um, is that reality provides journalists with the raw data to write a story about. But where you place your focus is, is going to determine what details are selected. And that's ultimately going to be what, what helps sculpt the story. And what's exciting about journalism is there isn't just one story, and certainly not one story to be told in just one way. So by me asking you the question of how many geometric shapes there are, you place your attention there and you almost systematically ignore everything else. But what constructive journalism does is it's about widening the lens to actually include detail, perhaps, perhaps commonly ignored. So Dewitt Jones, there was, there was a photographer for the National Geographic who... who um, he was given a really interesting task when he, first, when he first started working with them. And he was told to go out and find pictures that celebrate what's right with the world rather than wallow in what's wrong with it. And you can imagine how this powerful shift of focus affected his work. And he found that beauty emerged in the most unlikely of places and a different but equally valid experience of reality was shared with his readers. So this example isn't to say that we should only report on what's right, 
but it demonstrates the possibilities available to you as journalists through the questions that you ask yourselves. So we have the what and we have the how. So the what refers to content. So this is, this is positive news. So when we're talking about positive news or positive content, we're typically including stories of innovation, initiative, peace building, progress, solutions, achievements, and, and positive aspects of society. And to, and to offer a definition of this, positive news is considered to be rigorous journalism that reports critically on tangible progress being made in order for readers to learn about how the issues are being dealt with. So then we have the how, and that relates to the approach. So when we're talking about a positive approach to reporting, we are talking about constructive journalism. And just to make the distinction really clear at this stage, constructive journalism is not necessarily positive news. It's a positive approach to how we actually report the news, regardless of the subject or the news balance. So constructive journalism is becoming a really important area that's, that's emerging much more rapidly within journalism and it braces, embraces the idea that there isn't just positive or negative and in fact most stories have elements of the two. So it recognises that it is important to widen the lens to include, include these. So it does report on the problem um, but more generally perhaps it goes one step further to look at what solutions are being implemented. And then you can get critical about the solutions. Are they working? In what way are they doing it? Is the problem there the same as it is here? And is there anything that we can actually learn from the solutions? So by including solutions as part of the picture, it does make you aware of the possibilities and options. It doesn't just leave you stuck with a problem. And whether you use these solutions as emulation or you use them as inspiration, it does actually provide information to the readers about a way forward. And it's the inclusion of both the problems and the solutions that's important in helping the reader have an in-depth understanding of an issue. And this balance is useful in creating context. And it helps the readers understand what this story means, its impact, its failings, the opportunities, our personal proximity, and it informs us on a more practical level what we can actually do as individuals. So theoretically speaking... Constructive journalism has been an evident success, academically so at least, for the last 36 years. And it was termed first by a gentleman called Jack Haskins, who was a professor at University of Tennessee. But more practically speaking, it's a much more recent approach to journalism, pioneered by organisations, as I mentioned before, like the Constructive Journalism Project in the UK, Solutions Journalism Network in America, Transformative Journalism Initiative and supported and funded by influential organisations like the Knight Foundation. One final note to mention on constructive journalism is that it's, it is important to note that it's not enough to simply have, have problems and solutions to be considered constructive. It's actually very much about how, how we tell the stories of problems and solutions in order to empower the reader. And that's a really, really important word to draw out of that is empower the reader to make you feel like you can actually do something with this information that you're given. So this refers to having, and this was actually written before, but it was great to see the video because it refers to having empathy and compassion when reporting on problems, which were the two things that were drawn from the video that I just, I just had the pleasure of seeing. So it's pushing past the most obvious and gruesome and tragic details of a story to actually include a more balanced reflection of what the reality looks like. And when it comes to reporting solutions, 
it's, it's reporting critically on solutions. So you're not overstating their importance and, and you're reporting more on the process rather than the person actually instigating it. That's an incredibly simple summary um, and there is a lot more to it than that, but I thought for the purpose of this conversation it does actually provide an example for you to, for you to work with. So now we've had a brief look at what it is. I think it's really important to take a quick look at what it isn't. Um, so positive news has had a slightly unfair reputation as it's been misrepresented um, by a lot of people in the mainstream media who have often sidelined it to be an and finally at the end, showing perhaps light-hearted, soft stories that don't really bear much weight to the central narrative, like a water skiing squirrel. Although we've probably evolved past that, but it's still it's still referred to as pretty trivial, pretty trivial information. Um, so it's important to recognise that solutions-focused journalism is not fluff. It's not forced. It's not in denial of problems, it's not happy stories, it's not unimportant, and it's not escapism. Positive news doesn't seek to undermine the presence of problems by sugarcoating them, and nor is it about being ignorant or in denial of problems to give you a full sense of security. It is about adding to the narrative, not, not actually replacing it. And lastly, and a really important one to know, is positive news isn't PR, and it's not propaganda. So PR serves a, a much more commercial purpose, where positive news serves a social one. So it's not actually trying to, um, to push or plug anything. So then we can have a look at the rise in constructive journalism. Um, so from my research, I've contributed the rise to constructive journalism for three main reasons. The first and the, and the most prominent for, for every person that I've spoken to um, has been the result of trying to restore or counteract, uh, restore a sense of balance, sorry, or counteract the negativity bias in the mainstream media to provide a bit more balance and perspective for themselves. So there's a common phrase in the newsroom, I'm sure you've heard it already, but if you haven't, I'm sure you will, called, if it bleeds, it leads. And the news has become increasingly negative over the, over the past three decades. We'll perhaps touch on, on some of those reasons why in a moment. But in terms of content, the evidence suggests that stories most commonly considered newsworthy focus on war, corruption, scandal, murder, famine, and natural disasters. And they're chosen over positive content for publication as well as given preferential display, even when all other news values are actually the same. So that's content. And in terms of context as well, there's also a negativity bias. And this was proved, um, well, suggested in an experiment conducted by Boyle, who concluded this by writing a negative version and a positive version of 10 identical news stories um, so they had exactly the same content, but the negative version was selected in almost all cases. Over 90% of industry professionals selected it in terms of preference and importance. So then coming back to the consumer side, this, this negativity has been identified to have detrimental psychological impacts on the reader, which again we will, we will touch on in a moment. But the readers who found the news to be too depressing and experienced adverse feelings as a result, were highly motivated to read positive news in an effort to counteract this. And it became clear from, from the research that reading positive news not only actually mitigated those um, perceived detrimental psychological issues, but they actually promoted a much more positive response. 
Um, it is important to say at this stage, because when I start talking to people about positive news, they think that I don't really get the value of, of negative news. So it is important to say at this stage, I absolutely do. Um, I think that it's really important that problems-focused journalism shines a light on many of the world's ills, you know, forcing them onto the, onto the public agenda. But not only that, but you need to report problems as a first step to actually being able to problem-solve. So it is, it is sort of part of, the same, part of the same story. And there's a good book, Journalism of Outrage, um, which I recommend, which demonstrates a, a lot of the mobilising power that reporting problems has on bringing about positive change. Um, but there is a difference between this sort of problems-focused journalism that empowers the reader and brings about this, um, this, this sort of positive social progress um, against perhaps more sensationalist type of news that relies more on opinion over fact, more on emotion than, than reason, perhaps bolsters conflict for the, sake, for the sake of a sale. And it's that overarching media narrative that's, that's contributed to this excess. And, and just to note again that it's the excess that's related to these detrimental psychological issues. It's not actually the presence of negative news reporting, it's where that presence of negativity tips into excess and you lose that, that sort of um, balance that it begins to, to cause or has the potential to cause harm. So if we turn our attention back to the research into the psychological effects of those reading solutions-focused journalism, it's also important to note that when I was working with these subjects, many, in fact all of them, read, it was only one that didn't, but most of them read solutions-focused journalism in addition to the mainstream narrative. So many of the benefits expressed are the result of a balanced and more well-rounded perspective of reality rather than a positively skewed perspective of the world. So without this balance, the excess of negative news has been connected <coughs> to the following. So the first... Um, is an inappropriate assessment of risk. So the overrepresentation of problems can make people think that the world is actually more dangerous than it is. And with 24-hour news coverage on television and online, this inescapable sense of risk can lead to anxiety. And this anxiety created from, from watching the news doesn't just exist out there about world problems, it actually becomes much more internalised than that. And it's been shown that that watching just 14 minutes of negative news can increase anxiousness, sadness, and increase the tendency to catastrophize personal worry. And a lot of this anxiety is actually the result of feeling disempowered by what you've been reading. So it's been identified to leave the reader feeling small, isolated, powerless, and helpless. So this feeling that the world's facing imminent threat combined with this sense of lack of control or ability to affect change, is gonna, you know, that's going to make you feel pretty anxious. So what was shown by people who read solutions-focused journalism is that it actually reduced this feeling of anxiety by giving some perspective. By making people aware of specific developments and initiatives, it shows there can be effective resolve and progress in response to a problem. And this creates a sense of possibility, which also infiltrates the reader on a much more personal level and it's identified to help foster a feeling of empowerment and self-efficacy, where they believe their actions are able to make a difference, should they actually be moved to do so. So the negativity bias has also been linked with hopelessness and pessimism. One of the readers I interviewed, she said, I feel like I can get sucked into all of the bad stuff that's going on, and I don't think it's a good perspective on the world. 
And then you'll end up with it in your head going round and round thinking absolutely everything is terrible. And this is again really, really important for mobilising um, for mobilizing people really because if you're hopeless and you think that the future looks bleak, you may not actually do anything in response to these problems that you're hearing about because even if you care, if you don't actually think you're able to make a difference or that anybody is, then, then you may not bother trying. But what positive news is, is really good for is that it shows that not everything is terrible. Some things are terrible, but, but it shows that the problem doesn't need to be the verdict. It doesn't need to be the end point of the story. So it shows you know, how, how issues are being addressed. It looks at what else is happening. And this can offer some hope for the situation. So readers identified positive news not only to reduce hopelessness and pessimism, but generally said that it restored or increased a feeling of hope and optimism, both of which are really important for mobilising human potential to persevere and problem-solve, because those who believe that eventual success is possible will continue to try even when the going gets hard. And with so many problems and challenges facing the world, probably now so more than ever, optimism is a really important resource that helps us become energised enough to actually want to address these problems constructively. So just to note again that the purpose of positive news or constructive journalism is not to report a life without challenge, but it's instead to recognise that crisis can be a starting point for growth, and if so, including that into the stories that we tell. So another big problem with the excess of negativity, which is probably the most relevant for you guys at the moment as well, is a lack of engagement with the issue. So as a writer, this is really important because if you, if you write a piece, a really, really important piece that brings to the attention, um, that brings to our attention, sorry, something that requires action, but there's a lack of engagement, it's probably not going to have the impact that it deserves. So the lack of engagement has been shown to come up for two reasons. So the first of this is just active avoidance. There are many people who switch off the news altogether because they don't want to hear negative news. They skim read the articles or, or they avoid them for the way in which they dig up the worst of the worst. And the second reason for this lack of engagement is less conscious, and I think that it, it relates more to what, again, something that was said in the video before, but it's simply the result of desensitisation. So when you're repeatedly shown terrible things happening over and over again, you become less shocked by them. You become almost emotionally numb to what you're reading. And in psychology, this is known as adaptation. And that's also been one of the reasons that's been attributed to the growing negativity in the past three decades, because as we've got more news platforms, we have this increased sensationalism to attract the attention. And I think it was something that somebody said in the video which I just made a note of, they said some particular horrible massacre wakes people up. It does not have the impact they hope to have on witnessing these powerful stories of humanity. But the, the fact that we need something particularly horrible to the point where they say a massacre to wake up the public conscience, for me is a worry because I think that actually with a bit more variety of story we're able to recognise and have a bit more sympathy for the situation. Um... So it was suggested that reporting in a more constructive way in the presentation of bad news, as well as including positive content, it makes the reader more sensitive to the stories reported and it stimulates a feeling of empathy, connection and concern for the issue presented. 
as well as a feeling of interest in actually what's going to happen next. So this presents a huge opportunity for increasing engagement. So the most obvious um, thing that I always come against is that bad news sells. And it does. And one reason that bad news sells is because we are biologically predisposed as human beings to pay attention to bad news. We like to know what threats are going are to be coming our way so that we can be prepared for them. But despite this instinctive pull towards negative news, it has been criticised as being too negative to the point where it's referred to as depressing. So readers that find it too depressing can stop reading it altogether. And in fact, this was the biggest reason for disengagement, um, not because they weren't interested. So again, this depressing nature was counteracted by including positive news in their media diet, claiming that it improved moods, made them feel good, feel happy, feel better, feel joy, and feel inspired, and it puts them in a positive mindset. And readers were also highly motivated to read positive news because it fits with their personal values. Those who consider themselves to be hopeful, optimistic people, who believe in their ability to bring about change, they actually seek out material that's in line with their outlook on life. So that's on, a, on an individual level. But on a societal level, this mindset affects how we treat each other, how we work collectively, and how we contribute as a member of society. So it was shown that the dominant feelings after watching a 15-minute television clip of violent news were anger, fear, and contempt. And contempt is a really important one to draw out of those three emotions because contempt is linked with lower tolerance, increased hostility towards others, and it can result in lower levels of contributive behaviour. And I think with all of the um, Brexit media coverage in particular that's happening at the moment, I think it's really important to reflect back on that word contempt and recognise that it's linked with lower tolerance, increased hostility towards others, and it can result in lower levels of contributive behaviour. Interestingly enough as well, fear is, is a good one to draw out of that because fear makes people self-interested. It makes people very protective of their, of their most immediate environment, which also prevents them from working more collaboratively with other people, especially if they see them as threatening. So this was the opposite experience when they read positive news, as it created a sense of admiration for other people and restored a sense of faith in humanity. It was further suggested that positive news fosters an increased sense of community where people are actually motivated to contribute towards it. And it's not only adults that are affected by and aware of this excess of negativity. Recently on a programme, The Secret Life of a Six-Year-Old, this was evidenced when three children decided to act out the evening news. This is what back with guy news.
international terrorism is now becoming a theme of, of play among six-year-olds. I'm not sure I wouldn't think about that. No, but it does mean it's important to be talking to children about these things and they understand the significance of the event and the value that adults attach to them. Because they know about it. They know about it and they're talking about it with each other. Yeah. Okay, so I come back to the reason of, of, of why constructive journalism is, cre is actually gaining more legitimacy. So the first reason, as I've, as I've explained, is to actually counteract this negativity bias that is infiltrating us amongst many generations. But the second reason for its growth has been attributed to the changing role of the journalist in a modern-day media environment. So with the rise of bloggers, social media citizen journalism, as well as the affordability of technology, the journalists may no longer actually be the ones that are breaking the news like before. And in this case, there's an opportunity for journalists to provide context, verification, rather than just content, in order to, to actually help people make sense of the facts that are being presented. There's someone particularly that I enjoy watching called John Oliver, who, who speaks about, about news segments that we're probably quite familiar with in the mainstream narrative but breaks them down in quite a satirical way but, but definitely does add, add something to the discussion so I recommend him as well um, so that's the second reason and the third reason is that consumers have more choice and this goes for everything, not just the news so we no longer actually passively consume what we're provided, we're conscious about the decisions we make and we choose how, when and what we pay attention to and this increase in consumer demand is, is the main reason of what's given the conversation of solutions-focused journalism more legitimacy. So going back all the way to the beginning again, so in the 1980s, we see that Haskins, the professor at Tennessee, asked, can alternative methods for presenting bad news be devised that are more socially responsible and beneficial than conventional approaches? He continued to ask, can such constructive approaches be just acceptable to journalists and just as interesting to the public? Well, it's 36 years on, and with the development of organisations like Constructive Journalism Project and Solutions Journalism Network, the answer is a resounding yes. And there are many organisations that are now doing this on a more practical level, including, as I mentioned, The Guardian and, and the BBC more recently, but... These are also a list of news organisations who have been doing it for a, for a period of time. So what constructive journalism suggests is that problems-focused journalism, journalism sorry, and solutions-focused journalism, they no longer need to be pitted against each other to decide which one is the most important, but recognise instead both in their own right to serve an important informative function within the press. So positive news can't wait to be reported on in the absence of problems because if you're waiting for the world to be rid of problems before you start looking at what's working, you're actually never going to see it. So we do need to notice the world's achievements alongside its failings. 
in order to report on and understand the world more accurately. So in this case, the media institution, as well as its journalists, should report on strength as it does weakness, on success as it does failure, human excellence as it does human corruption and scandal, solutions as it does problems, and progress as it does recession. So that's the end of the talk, and I hope that this has perhaps broadened, broadened your um, understanding of the impact that your work has and, and the options available to you all as, as journalists. So thank you.